Hi there, travelers. I'm Riley. I'm Angelica. I'm Isabella. And this is True Crime International. So, Riley, where are we going today? Today, we are going to Germany, and I'm actually really excited because one of our listeners, Sydney, suggested we do a case from Germany um, on one of our Instagram posts yesterday, I think it was. Um, And lucky for her, I didn't start writing this case until yesterday, so (laughs) she commented just in time. Um, And Germany honestly wasn't even on our list of countries to do yet, so... If it weren't for her, we probably wouldn't have done this case anytime soon or ever. Thank you, Sydney. So, thanks, Sydney. You rock. You're great. And also, it's even more exciting because Angel is my little flight attendant on this case. You and betcha, she, Captain. <laughs> she did a couple of parts of this case, which um, usually it's Bella and I who are uh, kicking ass in our team. Be- just because of the rotation that we have with how we do cases, we help the same person for each case. but. We switched it up a little bit today, mainly because I forgot to tell Bella what parts to do because I just kept writing. (laughs) And honestly, I don't even care because I flew home this week. It was a lot. It was stressful. It was a long time. Guys, I had two two stops flying from Spain to here. And my second stop was in Newark, New Jersey. And the flight landed at midnight and my flight out didn't leave until... Well, it was scheduled for 9 a.m. It actually didn't leave until 10 a.m. And if you've ever spent a lot of time in the Newark airport or been to the Newark airport, it's not the coziest place to spend. Actually, it was really nice. I was pleasantly surprised. I've stayed in Newark before, and it's disgusting. If you're from Newark, I'm sorry, but you probably know as well. This is not news. <laughs> but the airport, the airport was really, really nice. Maybe they've recently redone the interior. But yeah, they, I, they could have redone some stuff. It's been a few years since I was there. I was dreading this layover because what is there to do in an airport in the middle of the night? Nothing. Uh, but I actually got really lucky. There was a girl on the flight with me, um, and after we we had to go through customs and collect our bags. And there was a bag recheck area, and she ended up there with me. And uh, there was no one there to re- to recheck our bags, so we didn't know what to do. So we just kind of had to leave and go figure something out. And luckily, we were leaving <laughs> we from the same terminal. Things. Yeah, she was leaving from the same terminal as me, and her flight was at like 7 a.m. or 7.30 a.m. So we had all night to figure something out. And so we went around to all the terminals, finally found a 24-hour Dunkin' Donuts. I got some tea. And we hung out there for several hours, and then we were finally (laughs) able to go check in our bags and go back through security. But it was actually really nice. I I made a friend, and she lives in Spain. And so when we're both back there and COVID is less of a thing in Spain, we'll meet up. That's exciting. I made an unexpected friend on my journey. The fact that you're able to make friends like the way that you are just baffles me. Because I (laughs) my anxiety just won't let that happen. So in that I just, scenario, it's easier to make a friend than to not make a friend. It's more of like a survival tactic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah for me, like a... I would have been in the airport bathroom having a panic attack trying to reach my mom. 
He goes, that's how my and mind that works. Is, and that is okay. <laughs> Everyone's different. Yeah. Once, I always get pre-airport anxiety. Um, like, but once I, once I get to the airport, I'm usually okay. But my anxiety before leaving on, what day did I leave? Friday? Yes, yeah. Friday. Friday. Was, <laughs> was ridiculous. Because the, I shit you not, the night before I left, I live in the region of Valencia in Spain and the authorities announced that they were closing the borders. And I was like, <gasps> no, <Yes. laughs> I was so scared, but it ended up being completely smooth. My whole journey, even though it took 24 hours and I barely slept in that time, but I made a new friend. Is she from Valencia? No, she is Mexican American and, um, she was headed to Cancun to see her boyfriend, and then she was going to Colorado to see her family. Oh, cool. That's a good trip, in my yeah. personal opinion. Anyways, we are going to be chatting about the Hinterkaifeck murders, which I picked because they happened in 1922, and they're like a creepy, puzzling story, and we're recording this the day after Halloween. So it just seemed fitting. Yes really is creepy like this is really creepy one of those that really baffles me so so the gruber family are the unfortunate victims but they lived on the hinterkaifeck farmstead that's what like their farm was called and the family consisted of five members the dad andreas he was 63 the mom cecilia who was 72 uh their widowed daughter victoria gabriel who was 35 and Victoria's two children, Cecilia Jr. and Yosef, and they were seven and two, respectively. Also living in the house uh, on and off was their maid, Maria Baumgartner, and she was 44. I just realized I know the story. Well, not so blind. <laughs> <laughs> not That's so right. blind for me today. It's okay. I haven't heard it in a while. Yeah. So uh, before the murders even happened, there were like some strange things that seemed to be happening in and around the Gruber house and family. Um, about six months before the family's previous maid quit, she, because she had allegedly like frequently heard strange sounds in the attic and she thought that the house was haunted, but again, alleged. That's enough for, to get me to leave. <laughs> like, mm -mm. I hear some, some weird, I'm out. Mm -hmm. One time, Angel's room smelled like fish for, like, two weeks, and she wouldn't go in there. Okay. First of all, also, <laughs> it took a long time. <laughs> I would just like to reiterate that this was not my fault that it smelled like fish. It was really scary. It was probably a good thing that I didn't go there or go into my bedroom. It was because there was, like, an electrical problem. Like, there was something wrong with the lights. So, uh, yeah, because I mean, electrical problems yeah. like smell really bad, yeah. but she's like, no, don't go in there. It smells like fish. So <laughs> I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> um, and like, so I had to have my brother, like he went into the attic and he fixed the lights. Um, so shout out to Josh for being handy and making sure <laughs> that my room no longer smelled like fish. <laughs> but yeah, literally the smallest thing is enough to get me out of an area. <laughs> one time we were at angelica's house and angelica lives in my house now or my parents house? area no this happened at your house oh 
Because this was it's in like a neighborhood. She has lots of neighbors. We have our own yeah. police department. It's like, like literally less than a mile from their house. Is yes. The police department. Yeah, you cannot speed even a little bit down the road <laughs> leading up to their house because they will get you. They have nothing better to do because nothing happens there. It's extremely safe. And we were we were at your place and we had been hanging out. It was uh, there was a group of us and um, I was getting ready to leave and you were like, oh. <gasps> There's a man outside in a green shirt. I just saw him. <laughs> and I was like, in, in, what? Because <laughs> you were pointing to the back door. And you're like, there was a, I just saw a man out there in a green shirt. He was staring into the window. And I was like, you didn't see anybody. And you were like, you were telling people, don't go outside right now. I swear I just saw somebody. And I was like, I'm trying to leave. Oh my she God. probably saw her reflection in the window. <laughs> probably. She probably saw someone's reflection. Honestly. Because there was, there was no one out there. And it was pitch black. So he would have had to have been right up next to the window. But you were so adamant about it. You were freaking me out. And I was like, okay, well, guys, watch me go out to my car. Just to make sure I don't get murdered on the way. <laughs> it's, it's, it's because Bella's the type of person where she's like, if I'm going to do something, I want if there's something I'm going to do, I'm going to do it. I want to leave and go home. And this man in a green shirt in your backyard is not going to stop. <laughs> if I want to go home, there's nothing that's going to stop me from doing it. No. I want everyone to watch in case I get murdered on my way to my car. <laughs> so there are witnesses. But I don't care. I'm going home. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. <laughs> Earlier in uh, March of 1922... Andreas found a newspaper on his property that uh, he didn't buy. He couldn't remember buying it. Uh, no one in his family bought it. And so he figured that the postman had just like dropped it or it fell out of his whatever while he was around the area. But later they found out that no one in the area even subscribed to that newspaper. So they were like, um, how the hell did it end up here, mate? So I'm just asking why this family didn't straight up move. <laughs> that's what i would do angel's like that's two things that is too too many yep and then just uh like days before the attack andreas had told his neighbors that he had found footprints in the fresh snow that went from the forest to a broken lock in the farm's machine room and i saw from one source that the footprints only went toward the farm and not like away from the farm. Like there was only one set of footprints. They led to the door and then there were no footprints leading back to the forest. But I'm not sure if there were or weren't two sets of footprints. But either way, uh, it's creepy as hell. And I don't want any part of it. No, thank you. My horse-drawn carriage Uber had already been there. <laughs> it already left. That's a morbid oh, joke, Angel. My Uber is here. My horse-drawn carriage Uber in 1922 had already <laughs> left. <laughs> and then the last kind of like pre-attack story was that later that same night, they heard footsteps in their attic. And Andreas went up there, but he didn't find anyone when he searched the attic and the house. So they just kind of let it go. And although he told several neighbors uh, about the things that had been happening... He never went to the police and he refused to, like, accept help from anyone regarding them, which is weird to me. But, I mean, it was, like, a really safe town. He literally lived, like, 43 miles from a major city on, like, his own farm. It's not like many people would trek out there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
To me, that makes places less safe. I want neighbors. Yeah, me too. Me too. (laughs) But back in 1922, that made it more safe. (laughs) So on March 31st, 1922, the Gruber's maid, Maria, arrived at the farm in the afternoon. um, And she was escorted there by her sister, who stayed and visited for a short time, just like with the family. And then she was, unfortunately, likely the last person to see the family and her sister alive. That night, Andreas, Cecilia, Victoria, and her daughter, Cecilia, were lured into the family's barn where they were murdered. And what I saw is that people suspect that they were lured there one by one, like individually, and not all at the same time. Because if there was one or even two assailants, that many people could, in my opinion, overtake them kind of easily. So that's kind of the theory as to how it happened. Um, The murderer or murderers used a mattock that belonged to the farm, which is like a tool that's similar to a pickaxe. And it has a vertical blade on one side and then directly 180 of that vertical blade. It has a horizontal blade on the other. And they used this to hit the family members in the head, causing death by blunt force trauma. And then once the perpetrator had finished, or perpetrators, plural, had finished in the barn, they then went into the home where they killed the maid Maria and baby Yosef, who was sleeping in his bassinet, which is so sad. So four days actually passed between when they were killed and when the bodies were found. And this is because it was the 1920s and there obviously wasn't like constant communication between people like there is now. Uh, The day after, on April 1st, some coffee sellers came to the farm to place an order, but no one responded when they knocked on the door, and they walked around a little bit before they left, but they only noticed that the gate to the machine house was open, and then they didn't really feel like they needed to investigate, like, it's a farm, what's really, Yeah, also, they're just coffee sellers, like... Yeah, they're just... They're just... They just wanted to, like, place an order with the guy... They're not yeah. there to, like, do much more. They don't know more. the normal routines of this family. They don't know if something looks off. Exactly. You know? So then on April 2nd, which is a Sunday. So the 31st was a Friday. The 1st was a Saturday. The 2nd is a Sunday. Uh, the family did not show up to church, which in 1920 was kind of a big deal to people, um, which worried some people. But again, it wasn't that big of a deal. Or, well, it was a big deal. But I'll get to this later. Um, and then on April 3rd and 4th, Cecilia was absent from school. And this is when people started to worry because she wasn't absent very often, especially not two days in a row. And especially with not with like without any word from the family, like if she was sick or something, people would know. So on April 4th, the family had scheduled a repairman to come work on the engine of one of their machines. And when he got to the farm, Again, no one answered the door and he didn't hear any voices or anything. So after waiting around for like an hour, he just decided to start working because, I mean, that's what he was there to do. And it's not like he needed anyone to help him. Um, So he started working on the machine and the repair took around four and a half hours in total, is what he said. Around 3.30 in the afternoon that same day that the man was there working on the machine, a man from their town sent two of his sons to go check on the family like to see if they could like if there was anything wrong if they could help with anything what was going on because they hadn't heard from them when the boys returned to their father they said that they didn't see or hear anyone at the house or at the farm and so the the father the man and two others went to the farm and while looking around they found 
the bodies of the family in the barn. And then shortly after, they found Maria and Yosef's body in the home. Also, correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, weren't the bodies, like, stacked on top of each other? Um, not exactly stacked. They were more, like, piled-ish. Okay. In, like, hay in the barn. Because, like... They were, like, lured through the stable part of the barn, and mm-hmm. a lot of barns have, like, hay bale and, like, piles of hay everywhere. They were kind of, like, in there. I have a picture, but, yeah. So this is where, like, the investigation starts. They called police right away. But even though the farm was, like, 40-something miles from Munich, which was the biggest major city near them, the Munich Police Department actually led the investigation. Um, but unfortunately, because there were so many people that had been in and out of the barn and the house, It was hard to draw evidence from the crime scene, but there was a physician who came and performed autopsies on the body while they were still in the barn, and he found that a mattock was most likely the the cause of death, the the weapon that the person used, which I said earlier. But there was no mattock found at the scene. So, like, in the barn, in the house, all over the property, they couldn't find it. The younger Cecilia was also found to have clumps of her own hair in her hands, which suggested to investigators that she was likely still alive after the attack, but she was in like so much pain that she ripped out her own hair while she like laid in the hay next to her family, which is so sad. Yeah, that's awful. That she just had to lay there and suffer. And like and like she was obviously in so much pain that she couldn't like, she couldn't think to do anything else except grab her head because it probably hurt so bad because yeah. she had died from blunt force trauma. That's just devastating. Also, um, very interestingly, per the examiner, <laughs> um, the heads of the family members were removed and sent to Munich, where they were further examined by clairvoyance, but nothing was found. And then their heads ended up getting lost in the chaos of World War II. Okay. That's why you don't send heads to clairvoyance. <laughs> I mean, why can't the clairvoyance just come to them? Yeah, why like, do you have to just, remove just the heads and send them? That's like key evidence. <laughs> oh my God. That is key evidence. <laughs> How Literally. is that okay being done by a police force? I know. Eventually, their headless bodies were buried. I hate that, but they were, like, laid to rest. <laughs> Absolutely Just without not. the heads. Also, how do Absolutely you just lose? Not. How do you just lose heads? How do they just lose I just, like, heads? want I mean, to know where they ended up really morbidly. Like, ah, uh, I don't know. It's nuts. Yeah. I, absol- I absolutely hate that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that really, that really grinds my gears. <laughs> um, at first, the police thought that this may have been a robbery. And so they interviewed a few suspects on this pretense. But then after they interviewed these people, they found like a large sum of money in the house. So they just abandoned that theory because obviously the the killer didn't take anything. So they started to look into the crime scene more and they got a few statements from people around town. And there was something really creepy about what they found. So remember when the family wasn't seen around town and didn't show up for church? Well, the reason that people weren't as worried as like people normally would be was because they saw smoke coming from the chimney at the Gruber home. So, <laughs> and so they weren't worried that something might be wrong because obviously they were just at home. And what this means is that the police think that the killer or killers 
stayed in the house for up to three days after the murders. So this is like a Miyazawa murder situation. I mean, the the Miyazawa killer was only there for like uh, at most 10 hours. Three days is a bit extensive. Oh, I know. Three days is nuts. And also it was only 1922, so they couldn't like collect DNA or anything, which sucks. But what were they going to match to anyways? The police also came to this sort of conclusion that because everything that happened around the property and in the house before the murders, they think that the perpetrator or perpetrators had possibly been living on and around the property for up to six months without the family knowing. Which would have explained the things that the previous maid heard, the newspaper, and the footsteps that the family heard in the attic. Mm. I mm. the things that would make Angel go away. <laughs> that would make me go away. That would Literally. make me leave my house. That's, yeah, that's too much information. Like, there's too much. Just leave. Right. Did I ever tell you guys that my mom used to live in a haunted Tudor pub in England? I think you mentioned it to me one time, but you never told the story. Yeah, I mean, believed to be haunted, but it is a Tudor pub. Uh, my mom used to live in a pub. My grandparents owned it. They lived up. They lived above it. Um, super old, and things were always getting misplaced and moved around, and no one knew why. But have you ever heard those stories of people who like come home and like all their stuff is in different places, and they think that like people have been in their house like moving their stuff around, but mm-hmm. then it turns out they just have a carbon monoxide leak in their home, and it's like them going crazy, and they don't remember that they're doing these things. That's <laughs> oh awful. Because that is one um, of my biggest fears. Speaking of things moving around, so we have established that I am scared of a lot. Everything. Um, yeah. So my brother Josh, who he's like not my actual brother. He's my sister's boyfriend, but they've been dating for like forever. So I call him my brother. But so when we all used to live at my parents' house, he would go into my bedroom and move around my stuffed animals because he knew it would freak me out. <laughs> and every day I'd go in and something was like different and I was freaking out. Uh, Angel was convinced she had a toy story on her hands. Literally, uh, which we're not going to bring up though. <laughs> like, Angel's coming. We have a. Josh is so mischievous. I, I'm thinking about my shameful story that I will, I refuse to tell on here, but. Wait, what's your shameful story? We'll cut it out. She used to choke all of her stuffed animals every night so they couldn't kill her. <laughs> I love that for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, you're. I mean, it worked. You're still alive. Exactly. I told my my shameful story on this podcast. I'm yeah, she did tell her shameful story. I would just story. like to say that mine's also borderline creepy and I want people to still like me. <laughs> <laughs> you can well, leave I it in. I still like you. Yeah, so. you can leave it in. But please, <laughs> listeners, know that I'm perfectly normal. Or I, no, I'm not no. normal. But I'm not. Don't lie to them. I am weird in the best way. So please continue to like me. Thank you. Angelica says, I am perfectly normal as she sits here recording in a pink wig. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you just put me on blast like that. <laughs> you make it too easy. <laughs> Hey, it's a good wig. I, I dig it. Um, it. It is a really good wig. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, g- getting back out of my weirdness and into the case, um, there were inconsistencies. Like uh, Riley said, 
this was the early 1900s. So, like, generally, I feel like investigations had a long way to go. So, like, hmm, there's definitely some questions to be asked. Um, One of them was that basically the conclusion said that the victims were drawn to the barn because of animal noises. But later they said that the human screams couldn't be heard from the living area. Which also... Yeah, like, like they did a test, like if someone were to scream yes. in a barn, you couldn't hear it from the house. This also just like makes me think of the kind of crazy ways that go into solving murders. Like testing that out has to be so uncomfortable, but also it's a little right. funny to think about because I just imagine one person screaming while the other tries to see if they can hear it. <laughs> like, <laughs> did you scream yet? Yeah. <laughs> and then also just like... If the animals didn't draw them, what did? Because like Riley said, well, they went one yeah. by one, apparently. But it just doesn't really make sense. Well, um, I'll go. Um, I'll kind of like get into that like a little bit later. But uh, yeah, keep going. Yeah. There was also an incident a day after the murders occurred where a dude named Michael Playkell passed by. And he noticed that the oven was being heated by someone. And like people had said that they saw smoke coming out right but he also smelled something very very bad like there was just a nasty smell yeah like whatever was in the oven yeah was not nice but when he was noticing this another person and i'm assuming that's whoever had the oven going approached michael with a very bright light and he just straight fled which I would do too. Um, Michael said, I am out of here. <laughs> and then this was never investigated, which has me like, why? Because there was a smell. Like how are, how are they going to investigate yeah, it? Yeah, true. But because, also, because like what during this investigation, people were like in and out of the house. Yeah. They were like cooking meals and stuff. So like there wasn't a lot that they could do. Also, because it like, is the 1920s. There's nothing on what the smell was. Like they have no idea. It's just gross. <laughs> yeah. Um, on April 1st, this butcher slash farmer di- <laughs> die, guy and dude die. <laughs> butcher slash farmer guy, Simon Reislander, saw two figures standing by the woods. But when they saw him, they turned away and walked into the forest before he could identify them. This was at 3 a.m. And I just like, why was the butcher out there? Also, I have some questions. Yeah, like <laughs> if it's three a.m., it's got to be pretty dang right? dark in yeah. that small town with not a lot of lights. Just near a near a forest is not somewhere I want to be at three a.m. Like, where was he going at three a.m.? Exactly. Maybe we should ask him what I have he no was fucking doing. Idea. It's weird. He's a butcher. Walk of shame. <laughs> Walk of shame. <laughs> I'm dead. Um, and then also in May of nineteen twenty-seven, which was like. Years after the murder, a stranger stopped a town person and he just asked him about the murder and then yelled that he was the murderer before running into the woods. Also, this this alleged murderer has a, a like they, they've got a thing for the woods, apparently. Yes, yes. <laughs> also, it was at midnight again. Late night forest shenanigans. What is this? Stop. How big is this forest? Because. Right. I have no Maybe idea. he's got like a little little place in there. A little no. <laughs> little cozy. I, I mean, Germany's got some really big forests. 
Yeah. I don't want to. I really want to go on a road trip. I really want to go on a road trip in Germany and just drive around to different castles. Oh, yeah, me too. But also, I read this um, book last winter. It was called White Rose Black Forest, and it was about um, World War II Germany and this girl who was like, you know, lived there and she um, lived by the Black Forest. And honestly, it sounded terrifying. A forest that big, I don't want to get lost in there. That sounds like a death trap. Yeah. It's awful. I was literally just watching the mu- the movie Hubie Halloween last night, and this guy was, like, getting lost in a cornfield. And those are much smaller than a forest, and it was giving Ooh, me yeah. stress. So it's like, bro. Yeah. Can't. Fucking ghost in my house. Um, no! Leave! <laughs> <laughs> I keep thinking that I see Louie out of the corner of my eye. And Angel never went to Riley's house again. <laughs> So before we get into the suspects, I also just want to mention uh, that about a year after. Why do I always say uh? uh, mm. Okay. Mm. So before we get into the suspects, I also just want to mention that about a year after the murders and after the police had like finished investigating everything at the crime scene, the farm was actually demolished. And during the demolition, they found the murder weapon, the family's mattock, and it was hidden up in the attic. Which makes me think that if it was hidden so well that they didn't find it the first time they looked for the murder weapon, I feel like the murderer must have been familiar with the attic and, like, known about a good hiding spot. But also, he did have three days, I guess. But also, maybe if someone was living there, maybe that's where he lived, in the attic. That's what what I'm saying. Um, Andreas did go look up in the attic that one night after they heard sounds and he didn't see anything. And if someone was living up there, you would think that maybe there would be like blankets or clothes or something because it was winter in Germany. (laughs) But who knows? He could have had a hiding spot for those as well. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Have you guys had this story? This woman uh, had raccoons living up in her attic and she could hear them from time to time just like moving around. But they didn't really bother her. Um, But then one day she was like, "Okay, fine, I'm going to get the raccoons out finally. And she just went up there to to see if she could spot them. And there was a man living in her attic. I hate that. You know what always gets me, too? When you're on, like, a website and it's like, this family found a trap door in their house and you'll never guess what was behind it. I want to know what's behind all the scary doors like for part that two. people find. Literally. <laughs> I want all the stories of scary small doors that people find behind walls. Anyways. Do that for a late night episode. Okay. <laughs> for a red eye? Red eye. Yeah, for a red eye episode. Okay. I'll see if I can find one. Don't scare me. <laughs> so you want her to find one, but you don't want her to scare you? I'll be drunk enough. It'll it'll go over well. <laughs> okay. Okay. Suspects. Now, we're only going to go through like a couple of them because there are quite a few, mainly because... They just had to come up with theories. <laughs> there wasn't really much evidence. Um, but the first of these is Carl Gabriel. Um, now, Gabriel might sound familiar because Carl was the supposed late husband of Victoria, the Gruber's daughter who was widowed and lived with them. He was reportedly killed in Arras, France by a shell attack in 1914 in the First World War. However, his body had never actually been recovered. And you're probably thinking, wait a minute, didn't she have a two-year-old son? 
And the answer is yes, she did have a two-year-old son, which was rumored to be the child of her father because Mm. they had an incestuous relationship that they had been to court for. I don't like that. Absolutely not. So, So if Carl didn't actually die and he came back to find this information out, I would think that he would be pretty upset. And another reason why this theory was proposed is because after the Second World War, there were captives who were released early from the Soviets. And they said that they had been sent home by a German-speaking Soviet officer who claimed to be the murderer in the Hinterkaifeck case. Which is <laughs> so weird, so specific to be <laughs> in Soviet territory and have that happen, but whatever. Some of the men later changed their stories, um, which calls to the validity of this theory. But again, it's just one big old theory because no one even know if Carl no one even knows if Carl is still alive. Also, like, here's the thing. I could I could see him being mad at Andreas because you for having sex with your daughter. Um, but I don't see him murdering the whole family because of a two year old. Well, I see where you're coming from. I think he would also be mad at Victoria because I'm almost positive that it was a consensual incestuous relationship, which how consensual can it really get? Let's be honest. But they both went to court and both had to like, were like convicted, whatever. Um, But the reason why I don't think this theory really holds is that if he did come back, I would assume that he would come back and like, just knock on the front door like show himself and then if he was mad i feel like he would just like like freak out and yell at them in person yeah Yeah. also how would he be able to know that the two-year-old is specifically the father's oh no i would just i think he would just be mad because she had a two-year-old out of wedlock with another man. Yeah. So so he wouldn't have any reason to know that the two-year-old was with the father. Yeah. So there would be no reason for him to That's kill the true. father. Yeah. I don't know. I like this theory better. The second suspect is Lorenz Schittlenbauer. I think I'm saying that right. Schittlenbauer. It's hard to say. <laughs> now, he was actually the man who sent his two sons to check on the family and then went with two other men and discovered the bodies. After the death of his first wife in 1918, it was rumored that he had a relationship with Victoria and that he was the actual father of Yosef. And people think this because the initials LS are on Yosef's birth certificate, but that could have also been like the attending doctor's initials. They're not like underneath like a father thing and they're just on the birth certificate. And the reason why he was found to be suspicious is because when they discovered the bodies, they had to, like, break down the door just to get into the barn where the bodies were found. But then when they went into the house, he just unlocked the front door with a key and went inside alone. And this is weird because um, one of the family's house keys had gone missing a few days before the murders. But he also could have had a key because he was their neighbor or because he was Victoria's supposed lover. You know, I think my neighbors have keys to my house, if I'm being honest, in case of emergency. All my friends have keys to my house. 
<laughs> we have keys to my neighbor's house. So. <laughs> uh, no one has keys to my house except my <laughs> landlady and my boyfriend. And that's it. I'm not giving a key to any of my neighbors. I don't know them. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but like we know our neighbors. Um, additionally, apparently when uh, people asked why he went into the house alone, when they weren't sure if the murderer was still in there because they hadn't been inside, he said that he went to go look for his son. But didn't he just send his sons into the barn? No, his son that was supposedly his and Victoria's child, Yosef. Oh, okay. Yeah. But regardless of those rumors, it's still known, like it's a fact, that Schillenbauer actually did disturb and move the bodies at the crime scene when they were discovered, which potentially compromised the investigation because you're not supposed to fucking touch dead people when you find them. Um, and in 1941, he actually won a couple civil suits for slander against some people who said he was the killer. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> really? Um, so there's also like four separate theories that blame different sets of brothers for the crime. <laughs> it's all brothers. <laughs> like all of them are brothers. It's nuts to me. And uh, I think it could have been a possibility because in all honesty... The way that this crime was done, it probably would have been easier with multiple perpetrators. Um, but most of the sets of brothers, I like, they're just like, probably not even a feasibility. Uh, so the one I think that has the most credibility is the one that says that the Bichler brothers were to blame with the help of George Siegel. One of the former maids thought it was the brothers Anton and Carl because Anton worked at the farm and I guess the dog wouldn't bark at him and the dog like barked at everyone essentially. Also the yeah, family. Because they, they were they were familiar with him. Yes, exactly. And obviously like if he had been around the farm a little more than he should have been. Uh, like, maybe living there. Um, yeah. Then, like, the dog wouldn't bark at him, and the dog wouldn't alert the family. Also, the old maid saw him speaking to someone who she thought was Carl one night. And then this makes me assume that she'd probably seen Carl there before. So maybe he hung around the farm. Anton also at one point said that he thought the family should die. For why? I he didn't give a reason. <laughs> he he just thought they okay, should die. Hey, Anton. <laughs> um, and meanwhile, George also worked there, and he knew of the family fortune and had reportedly robbed them at one point. Um, and he also happened to have carved the handle of the murder weapon. But he acknowledged that, and he said that it would have been kept in the barn where the family was murdered. I just. I doubt George's involvement, even if the brothers were involved, because of that admission. Because I don't yeah. see him even mentioning that if he wasn't guilty. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it was kept in the barn, and then that's why they couldn't find it after, because it wasn't where it was supposed to be. <laughs> exactly. But I the some of the theories that just are, like, so random, they're like deathbed admissions and it's like yeah there was like a mm. deathbed admission and then this guy who was it wasn't even yeah and then there was a guy who was like maybe in jail with this other guy and then the other guy said that he wanted to kill the family and asked if the one guy wanted to join and the guy said no and so he stopped talking about it 
<laughs> so weird. It just This is just a very puzzling case. So you'll have to let us know what y'all think. Yeah. I mean, and it could they, have just been completely random people who just were in the mood, you know? It could have been like a drifter who was like staying in the attic and then he's like, I've had enough of these fucking people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they actually continued to conduct interviews on and with suspect suspects suspects <laughs> um until the nineteen eighties. Um, but they've never been able to definitively solve the case. And it lives on as one of the most gruesome murders in German history. It'll stay that way. Yeah, for it sure. It will stay that <laughs> way. Stay that <laughs> and it, it's not going to get solved. There's no way. No, never. Murders that happened in like the 20s and before are, also, are always like so crazy to me because like... Why did why did people kill back then? I mean, it's the same reasons why people kill now, yeah, but it's like, like they why? literally just lived on a farm. Also, like, what's the point? The thing is, like, I know this case will never be solved. What I want is for the heads to be found. Right. But That's... I doubt they ever will. Honestly, oh, yeah. they probably got caught in like an explosion in Munich during World War II yeah. and then were just swept up with all the debris and will never be seen again. For sure. But anyways, that's the end of our case. Uh, we hope you found it as interesting as we did because we enjoyed researching this one. I couldn't think of the word researching. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to come chat with us about it, Sydney, if you're listening, give us your thoughts on Instagram or on Facebook if you're in our Facebook group. <laughs> um, our Instagram is at truecrimeintl and you can find our Facebook group by just searching True Crime International in the search bar will come right up. You can join. We we post pictures from all of our cases too. So if you're interested in what these folks look like, what the farm looks like, what the house looks like, it'll all be there. Avoid telling us scary stories. Oh, and avoid telling Angelica's scary stories. <laughs> you can tell us. <laughs> yeah. I'll listen. If you are listening to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and you are enjoying our podcast, we would love it if you would leave us a five star review and even like a little note say hi. We'd love to hear from you. And if you are extra enjoying our podcast and you have an extra $5 to spend every month, we do have a Patreon, which we post extra full-length episodes, layovers, red eyes, extra little clips about cool stuff that we find, anything you want. And it would be lovely if you could join us over there. Yeah, just interact with us, man. We want to talk to you. We love all of you. We want to know about your theories on our cases. We want to know about your cultures. Let us know if we got anything wrong about your culture or if you just want to tell us something really cool about it. I especially am really enthusiastic and excited about that stuff. Me too. Leave Same. us a comment. Send us a DM. We'd love tell to Tell us what countries you want us to do. Because right we now have, we just kind of yeah. we just kind of pick them pretty randomly and we just kind <laughs> of like claim them. Yeah. Or if there's a specific case, we always have a a form for cases in our Instagram bio. You can fill out our little Google form or just comment it or DM us. We're pretty lax. Although I would like to say that the things that like justify us picking like different countries is it's a funny process. We just pick. Isabella says, pick five countries. And we go, uh, and we pull the maps <laughs> on our phone and we go, uh, okay, I'll take Poland. I'll take... <laughs> And then we I'm in charge them. of Spanish-speaking countries, but aside from that, uh, if you we have a rule where if we visited one of the countries, we kind of have dibs. 
Or if we I have some England. weird, weird connection to one of the countries. Yeah. Dibs. Yeah. I'm Polish and German. Those are my two biggest things. So I've I'm not English, got I live in Spain. and Germany now. <laughs> I'm English. I live in Spain. So I get those. I speak Spanish. So it's useful for the Spanish speaking countries. But aside from that, there's like no process otherwise. No, not at all. Well, this has been another episode of True Crime International. We hope you've enjoyed your stay. 